0: You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. Turn to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. this Father, we ask now that you would guide our attention to your word. We know that it is perfect and pure in every way and we ask, Lord, that through it you would bring about the changes in our life. Change our perspective, change our outlook, change our heart. Father, your word has all the capacity to do that. All the power necessary to change a life is right here in this book. And Father, when the Holy Spirit takes the word that is proclaimed against the work, it's a work that goes beyond my ability or anyone else's ability. It's a work that is in your hands. So if we we ask Father this morning that you would have your will in your way here, today. Father, I pray that even now, as we as we sit in this beautiful facility provided for us, that we would make sure we clearly understand that our mission as a church is not just to gather once a week. Beautiful. The mission you've given us. Is to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourself. And as we love our neighbor, the way we love our neighbor is to tell them about you, about your love, that we make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things you have commanded.
1: Follow when you come back, when your son comes back, and I
0: can't help but think that that's not too far off. You're not coming back for. A brick and mortar and buildings and carpet and seat. Coming back to the people.
1: Father, may this church always keep its focus. calling and our mission.
0: Made it very clear. People of Robinson County and beyond. Who don't have a saving relationship with you. And have never experienced the grace that we have. But help us to stay on track. Help us to keep our focus.
1: Help us to have no other gods. Ask all this. Powerful. There was a wagoneer. That's a
0: guy who uses a wagon. Don't use that term very much anymore. And he was driving a heavy load. He had a horse and cart. And he was on a very long road and it was a very muddy road. And eventually the, the wagon gets marred down in the mud where it can't go any further. And eventually, as he kept trying to work on it, the, the wheel sank completely into the mud, almost up to the axle. So the wagoneer. Threw down his whip, knelt down, and he prayed. But he prayed to Hercules, the strong. And he says, Oh, Hercules, help me in my hour of distress. But Hercules appeared to him and said, Man, don't sprawl there. Get up. Put your shoulder to the wheel. The gods
1: helped them that helped themselves.
0: Poor Richard's Almanac, the 1757 edition of course Ben Franklin who was writing the poor Richard's almanac the 1757 edition had a paragraph in it that uh, Franklin wrote in there and he was he was struggling with the idea of taxation and the heavy burden of taxation that was being put on the colonies and and he was writing in there almost a lament about that taxation and he's he's kind of questioning where is our help going to come from how are we ever going to be able to get under out from under this yoke of taxation and then he says well maybe hope Maybe help, maybe power will come from the outside. And he says this statement, quote, God helps those who help themselves. Now, I would dare say that some of you here today think that that's actually a biblical principle, that that somewhere in the Proverbs, that is a biblical statement, that that for those of us who who pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps, those of us who, who get busy about fixing the problems in our life, that when we show we're, we're committed to that, that then God shows up right at the moment where we can't handle it anymore. Maybe right at the edge where things are about to go off the cliff, that, that if we'll show ourselves faithful, then God will show himself faithful, and he'll fix all of our problems and take care of all of our pain. There are a lot of people who think that's right out of the Bible. They think that, that maybe Moses, when he was leading the Israelites out of bondage, that, that he lived by the principle that I'm going to do all that I can, and I'm going to do all that the work that I need to do, and if I do it faithfully and I do it long enough and I do it with tenacity, that the God of creation will show up and maybe help me out a little bit. I think you probably already know where I'm going here. This, this statement is not a biblical statement at all. Matter of fact, it's not even a principle you can find in the Bible. Because in the Bible, we find plenty of people. We find myriads of people who are in situations that they could not fix themselves. So what do you do when you've done everything you can do? What do you do when you've, you've thrown everything you've got at it, all of your skill, all of your education, all of your money, all of your time, you've thrown everything you've got at the problem, all with the idea that if I do everything I do, then God will show up and He'll fix it. But what if you've done everything you can do, and the problem's still there, the pain is still there, and the struggle is still there, What do we do with the idea that God helps those who help themselves when, in fact, we find ourselves in situations over and over again that are beyond anything we can do? matter of fact, as I look across this group, I looked across the group yesterday with the service we had yesterday. I know that the journey that some of you guys are walking, and they're very painful. Some of you have been walking a journey for years now, not months, but years. And you've been throwing everything you've got at it. And maybe somewhere, somewhere down underneath it all, you've been living by the principle that Aesop's fables put forth that then Ben Franklin picked up and said, you just got to keep working harder. And I dare say that you've been working so hard that you're getting kind of tired. Maybe it's a new problem, maybe it's an old problem, but it's a problem nonetheless. And you're bearing down underneath this load. This particular psalm that we're looking at today is, is part of a group of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. They're, they're psalms of a pilgrimage. And it was a pilgrimage of the Jewish people traveling from all over the region of Judea into Jerusalem for those high holy days, maybe the Passover, uh, maybe Pentecost, maybe, maybe the Festival of Tabernacles. But people would travel long distances and they would often travel together in maybe packs of 50, maybe 100, maybe 25. We see this uh, very clearly, when Jesus, as a very young man, maybe around the age of a preteen, his family goes to Jerusalem for one of those high days, and, and we get the understanding from Luke's narrative that there was many people traveling together. Well, that was kind of a custom. Not only in Jesus' day, but all the way back in the psalmist's day. You've got to get this picture that from all over the region, people would travel long distance, and there would be these rolling hills that they would have to walk through but they're all looking for the same thing and that's the destination and the destination was the holy city of God and at the pinnacle of that holy city of God was none other than the temple of God and once you got within eye shot or eye distance of of Jerusalem that high city on a hill the very top of that hill at the very top of that city you would see none other than the temple of God and on that temple there was gold that had been placed on the outside and so you're walking across these, these long expanses of land and you can see the sun shimmering off the gold on the temple. Can you just see as, as groups and myriads and families of people are traveling long distances and their single goal was to get to the city and to worship their God. Because in that city that had been promised by God, there was a temple and the presence of God was in that place. So as they would make these journeys, these songs of ascent, would be sung. I don't know, I just get the imagery of kids and families and people just overfilled with joy, smiles on their faces. And they're traveling and, and they can't wait. They may have been traveling for days, living out in tents, living out on the land. Can't wait to get to that city. Can't wait to be able to worship. Can't wait to see some old friends that they haven't seen in a long time. You see, they were on a pilgrimage and the end of that pilgrimage was a city and in that city was the presence of God. I would imagine as you could have walked along with them, you would have heard the singing of these very psalms, Psalms 120 through Psalm 134. You would have heard the kids quoting these psalms. And everybody knew them. And here you are traveling along, and maybe you're four or five miles into your journey, and then here's another group of people from another part of Judea who comes along, and now your clan is turning from 50 to 100, and everybody's singing the same songs, and everybody can't wait to get to the city you see we're on a pilgrimage not quite like theirs a little bit different but has a lot of similarity we're we're, we're traveling on a journey and this journey is this life and the bible tells us especially the new testament that that this land this world that we're in is not our final destination we're we're just kind of passing through here That, that there's another place that we're heading to and for those who put their faith in jesus christ There is a holy city where the presence of God is that we are heading to. You see, I'm spending some time here, but I recognize
1: my time here, short. But my time there is eternity. Look at Psalm 121. The psalmist says, I lift
0: up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? The psalmist starts out and he says, as we're traveling on this journey, as we're traveling this physical journey to a physical city called Jerusalem, there were these rolling hills and these these places that they would walk through. And, And the psalmist says, as I'm making this journey, where does my help come from? Now, why would the psalmist be thinking about help? Why is it that at the same time he's worshiping, he's also needing help? I'll tell you why. This journey from wherever they're coming from to Jerusalem was filled with both anticipation but anxiety a lot of anxiety you got your kids you got your family you've got pretty much everything you own with you you may even be taking animals with you and along that journey there were people evil people that would hide behind the the hills hide in the ditches they were thieves evil people people who would seek to take your life and take your goods people who would who would seek to destroy so there was, there was anxiety among the people as they traveled. And they're, on the one hand, they're worshiping, but on the other hand, they're keeping their eye out. Isn't that not exactly the way this life is? That we have both a balance of, of worshiping God as, as Christ followers. All at the same time, we know too well the fallen nature of this world. That, that just around any corner, just around any little hillside, is pain and trouble that we never thought we'd ever have to face. Some of you are facing things this morning you've never thought you'd be walking. You didn't see it coming. Out of nowhere, you were blindsided. And now everything in your life that was right has now been flipped upside down. These folks traveling these roads, it was a dangerous, dangerous situation. The longer they traveled, the danger it, more dangerous it got. And, and the psalmist says that in this journey, in this pilgrimage, I've got to have help. And I want you to understand something. That one of the first big steps in your life when you're facing trouble is the fact that you're willing to ask for help.
1: Far too often in my own life
0: you guys as I've walked through you walk with you through some valleys and some hills and sometimes the biggest step in your life is just saying I can't fix this. I don't I don't have The resources to fix this. The psalmist writing this as he's making this journey and as they're quoting this psalm, they're all reminding one another that the journey they've got in front of them is bigger than what they can accomplish on their own. And I I would admit to you that there's been plenty of times in my own life there I didn't
1: make that admission. Oh, I got it, God. I think it really comes back to pride, doesn't it? You see, asking for help
0: admits that you can't fix it. By, by clinging on to it, by, by, by living out this idea, this, this false premise that God helps those who help themselves, that by trying to help yourself and not ask anyone else for help is the epitome of pride. The psalmist says, from where does my help come? Well, he answers that question. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help comes from the creator of heaven and earth. The longer I follow Jesus, the more that I realize, the more that I know Jesus, the more that I love Him. And the more that I love Him and the more that I know Him, the more that I trust Him. You see, if there is a lack of trust, if there is a lack of reaching out to God, knowing that He has all resources available to help, if there is a reluctance there, again, that comes back to pride. But the more we know Him, the more we love Him, the more we trust Him. I think it's interesting that the psalmist says as they're singing this song going to Jerusalem, I think it's interesting that he says our help is not coming from the heel. Our, our help is not coming from some other source of power as we face these challenges on the way to our destination that, that our, our help is not going to come anywhere else that from God. That's the only place it can come from. I and mean, by the way, He's the only one capable to deal with whatever it is you're dealing with. That's why the psalmist says He is the creator of heaven and earth. In other words, whatever you've got, whatever you're dealing with, whatever the problem is, I guarantee you that God is bigger. I guarantee you that His power is more vast. I guarantee you that not only does He know exactly where you are and what you're dealing with, we're going to see that in just a minute, but God has unlimited power, unlimited ability to speak to the situation that you're in
1: and to do what needs to be done. The psalmist says
0: that, where is my help going to come from? Well, our help is going to come from the Lord. Our dependence is upon Him, whether you admit it now or admit it later. The fact is that everything in your life is contingent upon this Creator. The next breath you breathe, the next bowl of Cheerios you eat on for breakfast tomorrow morning, the air conditioning or the heat that's on in your house. I don't know which one to turn on right now. I don't know if it's heat or air conditioning. But all of that is because of a good God who's blessed me and poured out his grace into my life. No matter where you look, no matter where you put your attention. This creator, this, this creator of heaven and earth, he's in sovereign control. He has unlimited power. He's waiting for you to turn to him and say, I need help. I need help. Notice what else the psalmist says. Verse three. He says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, who he who keeps you, Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, through this psalm, this short psalm, you're going to see the word keeps and keeper. Keeps and keeper multiplied. Anytime, anytime you see words being repeated in any text that you're reading, you want to pay attention to that because the writer is emphasizing something. And in this, in this psalm, he says multiple times he will keep your life. He will keep you. God is a keeper, this creator of, of heaven and earth. He will keep you. You can take, and take that word keep out and you can put this word in. Guard. guardian or you can say that god watches over in the hebrew behind your english translation you can use guardian guard watching over you all of that takes the place of. so it gives us this idea that that god is actively engaged in our life every single moment of every single day so if the psalmist is calling for help and he recognizes that god is that help then what kind of help is God going to provide? In other words, what will God do in your time of trouble when you admit that you need help and you run to Him? I'm glad you asked. First, He will not let your foot be moved. What I love about the Psalms is the poetic the poetic illustration, the the the, the picture that the psalmist paints. He will not let your foot be moved. Have you ever been down to the beach and uh, you've been waiting for that beach vacation. So you go out there on the beach and you've got all your stuff, you've got your umbrella and you've got your bags and you've got your, you know, your chair that you're going to take out there. You've got your books ready to read and maybe if you've got your kids, you've got all your toys and you know what that's like, right? You look like a, like a pack mule trying to get to the beach and you walk across that long boardwalk, and then you walk down those steps and that first 50 yards of the beach is almost impossible to walk through especially when you're loaded down with all this stuff. It's like your feet are unsteady. You can't really get a footing, and you can't wait to get off that soft sand. And the further you walk, the more solid that sand becomes. And when you get down next to the water, that sand is packed. You have a solid footing, don't you? You ever notice on the beach the people who run get exercise? Y'all, you notice they don't run up there near uh, those boardwalks. They don't they won't run up there where that bank of sand is. They run down next to the water because they need a sure footing that trouble that came around the corner, that problem that came up, that diagnosis that came from the doctor that you weren't expecting. When it came around the corner, it kind of got you unnerved, didn't it? It, it kind of got your feet in a place where kind of like walking on that sand is like everything underneath you was shifting. Everything you knew to be true is no longer true. Everything you thought was reality is no longer reality. And all the plans that you had for the future are now up for grabs because in that moment, at that moment when that doctor looks at you, or when that spouse looks at you, when that person absolutely blows up your entire life, it's like you've lost your footing.
1: You're unstable.
0: Listen to what the Lord says. What kind of help is He going to provide? Well, He's not going to allow you to totter, to fall back. He's not going to allow you to fall into hope. I'm going to tell you, folks,
1: (laughs) over this last three years, through two hurricanes, Building we couldn't use. There were times that my footing was getting a little bit, a little bit unsteady.
0: There were times where, as we walked through this journey as a as a leadership, and all the questions that we had, we had a building that was in such bad shape that we couldn't even be in here and be in here safely. And it seemed like that came out of no. Hey Matthew, we had a service plan for that. It's on that week that we've got to get out of this building and move to the gym. And I want you to know, there were times that your pastor was wavering a little bit in all that. There, there was times where I felt like I was losing my footing. I had more questions that I had answers. The psalmist says, he will not let your foot be moved. He will hold you right there. He will make the ground under your feet that's now turns soft. he will turn that into solid rock, like what we just sung about a few minutes ago. That rock that we stand upon God is that rock. He is our keeper. He is our guard. He will keep our foot. He will hold us in place. He will not let us fall into hopelessness. He will put our footing in a secure place. Our footing will be in a secure place because it's secure in the God who holds us. Notice what else the psalmist says. He says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. So what will God do in a time of trouble? He will not let our foot be moved. Secondly, you know what else He'll do? His resources will never fade, and they are unlimited. It says here that our God will never slumber nor sleep. The psalmist wants us to see this, so he says it twice. He says, he who keeps you will not slumber. He who guards you, he who watches over you, is not going to check out and take a nap. That seems kind of ridiculous in one sense, right? Well, in this culture where the psalmist is living, as a matter of fact, as he's making his way to Jerusalem, he's walking through tribes, and those tribes who, who do not believe in Jehovah God, they have their own gods, and they believe that the gods that they served would take a nap. And uh, it would be, a, it'd be really easy to take a nap. I'm just going to say, we got the air conditioning just right, got the heat just right, it would be really easy to take a nap. Don't check out on me. I thought that was a good place to throw that in. If God doesn't slumber, we don't need to be slumbered, especially in these nice comfortable seats. God says through the psalmist, I don't take a nap. The nations around Jerusalem, those who didn't believe in Jehovah God, they believed in gods who would basically just check out. So, so what those people would have to do in the worship of their false gods, they, they would have to have ecstatic worship services. No, they would have to be loud. They'd have to scream. They would, they would even have to cut themselves. If you remember back in the Old Testament, we have stories of that. All for the point of trying to get their God to pay attention to them. So so here's the idea. If those people will do all that they need to do, then God will show up. But if they don't, then maybe God's asleep. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's taking a nap. The psalmist wants us to be very, very clear in this understanding that that mess that came around the hillside, that pain that you're going through, that trouble that you've got right now, may have caught you off guard. But it didn't catch your Creator off guard, not at all. He knew what was on the backside of that hill. He knows what's on the backside of the next hill. He knows what's on the valleys. He knows what's on the journeys. He knows what's hiding in the ditches. He knows what's everything in your life that you're going to face. He already knows it. He already has a plan for it. He's already way ahead of you, and he's not a But then the tendency is that, that when we're in that valley, when we're in that dark place, I think God's checked out. has checked out. You've heard me say this. I've said it probably multiple times. You may be getting tired of hearing it, but I'm going to say it again. God, your creator, you're the one who is working in your life, is working in some 10,000 ways in your life, and we may only be aware of one. Sometimes we're not even aware of that. And when the pain and the trouble and the valleys that are deep and wide begin to press down upon us, we don't even see the one, much less the 10,000. The psalmist is saying very clearly as we make this journey, this pilgrimage, from where we are to where we've always been meant to be. That God is not only alive and aware and and involved and there, He is not taking a nap at all. He's very much in control. Look at this. It says, the Lord is your keeper, verse 5. It says this. I love this imagery. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. This is beautiful imagery. So, what will God do in my time of trouble? He will not let your foot be moved. His resources will never fade. He will never leave. He he will never leave your right hand. So so the imagery here, what is the psalmist kind of picture is he painting here? Well, the soldiers in his day, when they would go out to battle, they they always took the shield in their left hand. So when they would line up for battle, they would line shoulder to shoulder. You always wanted to have somebody at your right hand because if you got your shield in your left hand, the weak side is your right hand side. And oftentimes, when an enemy would attack, he would try to come at you from your right. So, you always want to have a strong soldier to your right, kind of of shore up that side of your life to make sure that you're safe, to make sure that you're being looked after. Oftentimes, enemies would try to break through the line. What that means is, is to separate that front line so that it makes your right side vulnerable. The psalmist says, that the Lord is your keeper, your guardian. He watches over you. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. You know what that means? That means the creator of this universe, he's not off running in the universe somewhere. He's not taking a nap. He's standing at your right hand. And his big presence in your life casts a shadow across your life and even blocks the sun from burning the hands as they walk on this journey. The psalmist says the heat's bearing down. The sun would have been incredibly hot at certain times of the year when they were making these journeys. And the psalmist gives us this illustration, this little painting of God standing at our right hand. And God's presence is so powerful and so real that His shade falls on their right hand. And even the sun is not burning the back of their hand as they make the journey through this life. He says, nor the moon by night. Now, what is there about the moon that's a problem? Well, in The psalmist's day, and even today, people thought that when the moon came out that people just went nuts. If you're an EMT or a paramedic, a a police officer, a fireman, just ask one of them. They'll tell you that when we have a full moon, crazy things begin to happen. I mean, we got crazy things happening in Robinson County all the time. Let a full moon come out. It's crazy. And and by the way, the, the, the concept of lunatic, lunar, that's where it comes from. So not only that, but at night is when people would get attacked. At night is when those robbers would come out. At night is when, is when all your fears kind of become reality, right? It's when you look out into the darkness and you can't see anything, you begin to see things that aren't there. And God at your right hand, the one whose shadow is cast upon you, who is so close to you and so real in your life, is protecting you and walking with you. In the New Testament, we understand is very clear, right? The New Testament says that not only is God beside us, but He lives in us. If you've not come to faith in Christ, if you've not put your faith in Jesus, let me tell you what happens in that moment. Not only are you given a brand new life, a brand new heart, not only at that moment are you empowered to live out what God's called you to live out, not only are you given brand new purpose, but the Creator of the world, the Creator of the universe lives inside of you. I know that sounds like madness, right? It sounds crazy. But it's true that it's not just God beside me. It's God in me. Because of that, I know where to
1: find help. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you. Notice the
0: shift here in the tense of the language. The psalmist has been talking about His presence. God is going to take care of us now, that God is going to watch over us now, that whatever's lurking around the hillside, God already has a plan. God's walking with us, He's right beside us. I know where my help comes from. It doesn't come from the hills, it comes from the Lord. But notice in verse 7 how He shifts now. The Lord will keep you from all evil, He will keep your life, He will guard your life, He will watch over your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. From this time forth forevermore. I said at the very beginning that we're on a journey. We are on a journey. Not exactly like this. We're not packing up our family and walking miles to get to a holy city. But as a Christ follower, I am on a journey. I am on a pilgrimage. I am heading somewhere. And and, and that destination doesn't end with my death as far as destination on this side. My destination is acquired at the moment my life ends and and for those of you who've never put your faith in Jesus, how certain are you? How certain are you of your destination? How certain are you that all of your good works and all of your religion and all of your name on the membership role of this church and a half dozen others, how confident are you that that's going to make your destination sure? I, I would imagine that some of you are not really settled in the fact that if your life ended today,
1: you would be with your Creator. Well, you've got to realize where your help comes from. And you've got to be willing to ask for that help.
0: That it's not you that can, can make, that, make that journey yourself. You, you don't have what it takes to become righteous enough to be acceptable by God. The psalmist says the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. He will make sure you arrive at your destination just as certain as I'm standing before you, just as certain as Jesus changed my life when I was 16, I am certain, without a doubt, that in spite of all my failures, in spite of all my foolishness at times, God will finish that good work He began in. He will take me across to the other side. I will be at my destination in His presence. He says here, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth, and here it is, forevermore. Forevermore, just as the Israelites were journeying towards a destination, we are journeying towards a destination. And regardless of whether you're a Christ father or not, you're going to meet a destination, one that is incredibly beautiful with your Creator, one where you're going to be separated from Him forever. What does it mean that God will keep us from all evil? You see that? i got a little highlight there and a little question mark in my Bible. What does it mean that God is going to keep you from all evil? Does that mean He's going to keep us from all trouble? Oftentimes when we read a verse like that, we, we automatically transpose our American culture into it, and our American culture says that, that we're to be comfortable above all things, that we can't have any trouble or any pain, but how's that working out for you? It's not working out for me. But life is filled with trouble, pain, problems. Just as soon as you get over one situation, as soon as you get around one hillside, this is going to be really encouraging for you. <laughs> It'll be the encouraging moment of the day. You may have just come out of a mess. Well, there's more coming. See how encouraging that was? That made you feel warm and fuzzy, didn't it? There's more trouble coming. Thank God you've got a place in your life now where you've kind of came out and you're you're reaping the benefits of that blessing that God delivered you. But you know as well as I do, those are short-lived.
1: The Lord's going to keep you today forevermore.
0: So, so maybe, we need to, maybe we need to change the way we're thinking. So, so is it that, that God helps those who help themselves? Now I think we can finally put that principle that is no principle, I think we can finally put that aside. A man who had never flown before, he was scared to death to fly on a commercial jet airliner. He, he would just not get on board. Finally, set of circumstances, that he had to take a flight. Well, he goes to the airport, and you can imagine the anxiety that is just building with every step. Gets out of the car, goes into the airport, and, of course, airports are chaos anyway. The anxiety keeps building and building and building, goes through security. He gets to his gate. He looks out there at that plane, and there are points along the journey where he's just about to turn around and go right back out. But he walks across that long, dark corridor over to the plane, he gets on, he takes his seat, and he's probably the most anxious he's ever been in his life. And sitting next to him is a little eight, nine-year-old boy. He just seems to be traveling by himself. The thing this man had been dreading all along was that taxi down the runway and that point where the plane begins to take off, and every sound on that plane he's hearing when they shut the, the bottom of the plane, uh, of the luggage hold, and he feels that, and he kind of shudders. The, the uh, corridor pulling back from the plane. When the plane begins to throttle up and back out, everything, he's hearing everything. He's feeling everything. And everything he feels and everything he hears is amping up that anxiety. The plane comes out, turns, four points down the runway, and he knows the moment of truth has come. He grips the seat so tightly that all the blood is drained out of his hand. He's sweating. He's scared to death. That plane begins to fly down that runway and it begins to pull up, and the man's just gasping for breath just not sure what he's gotten himself into he finally plane gets up levels off straightens up gets on path and kind of calms down and he's like well, wow this this is kind of like sitting in my living room really really no big difference here and everything's fine now everything's good he kind of relaxes catches his breath blood pressure comes down everything's good about an hour into the flight they hit turbulence now if you've ever experienced turbulence, it will rejuvenate your prayer life almost immediately, especially if it's bad turbulence. I had a flight one time that uh, was just horrible where the plane was dipping and diving, and if you hadn't had your seatbelt in, you would have flown out of the seat. You've probably seen stuff online about that. That's, I had a flight like that one time, and I'm telling you, uh, get real close and personal with God at that particular moment. Well, they hit some turbulence. This plane is jumping all over the place. This man is freaking out. He looks over at this little eight, nine-year-old boy, and that little boy is sitting over reading a comic book. He's reading the comic book. And, and the man can't, he's like, what are you doing? You should be freaking out. You're a kid. So finally, he can't stand it anymore. He just kind of blurts out at the kid and says to the kid, why are you so calm? What's wrong with you? The kid,
1: the kid looked up, and he answered. He says, my father's the pilot of this plane. My father knows that, that I'm on board. He's not going to let anything happen to me. Folks, can I tell you who's in the cockpit? It's not you.
0: It never was you. The creator of heaven and earth is in the cockpit. And it does not matter what happens with the Republicans or the Democrats or the independents. It does not matter what happens to our economy. It does not matter what happens on stock market. It does not matter What we have to face because God is in the cockpit. I'm His son. You're His son or His daughter. And God is going to get us to our destination safely at home. You don't have anything to worry about? See, your father, your Abba, your daddy, he's at the controls. Thank God that he is. And how many times have I wanted to get in there and take control as if I know what's best? As if I know how to fly the plane. As if I know what is best for me, my house. And I have to go back and I have to sit down in that plane and I have to put my trust in the pilot knowing that he loves me. He has his best for me. My hope does not come from the hills. My hope does not come from a political party. My hope doesn't come from me being religious. My hope doesn't come from me trying to be a good guy or a good person. My hope comes from the pilot, the sovereign God, the king of the universe, the one who's flying this thing and it ain't going down and I'm going home with him. You want to join me? You want to join me there then it's time for you to put your faith in Jesus. If you haven't done that, now's the time.
1: Father in heaven, we're not in control. And thank God we're not.
0: Well, I'm thankful that that you are in charge. You have vastless resource, vastless power, unimaginable ability. You see the future, you see tomorrow, you see every hill I'm going to face. And in all of it on this journey you have for me two goals. One to become more like your son, to become Christ-like. In the journey, walking this road, every heartache, every difficulty, every pain to become more like your son. But father, there is another goal for me. And that I, that I will cross from this life into the next. And all of the pain and all of the trouble and all the heartache, it'll all be worth it when I kneel before your throne. Father, help us as Christ followers to abandon all and trust you, to know you more, to love you more, and trust you more. Father, for those here in this place, for those watching online this morning, where is your trust? And where is your destination? When life is over and you breathe your last, only one of two options. And it's where you put your faith today that determines your destination. We love you. We thank you. In this moment of response, whether online or here, I pray that we would respond by faith, believing. We love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.